think about things that cause us to flee. Uh, it might be persecution, some flee uh, persecution from the government. Some flee war-torn areas. They flee for their safety and get away. Um, maybe you can remember a time as a child when you're playing a game and a ball flew where it wasn't supposed to fly and a window broke and at the sound of the, the breaking glass, all the children fled <laughs> the scene. They dispersed and got out. We're going to keep that image of fleeing from the beginning of this, from verse 1 uh, through the end as we get back to it at verse 10. We're going to see how God works and is in control and how joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We can't do the 10th verse without the first verse. And so uh, we'll start at the beginning today. Joy promised, joy fulfilled. We're going to see some strong and vibrant images of Jesus in Isaiah 35. And then, of course, joy uh, future. Some good images in this. If there's a main image in chapter 35, it is uh, things that are desolate uh, coming alive. Things that shouldn't have life uh, having life. And I was looking at that, that process. Uh, maybe things that are not working then that do work. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, as the, the prophecy here in this chapter opens up, we see that wondrous things lie ahead for God's people. I don't know to what extent you're familiar with Isaiah or specifically Isaiah 35. I don't know to what extent you may be familiar with understanding prophecy or even some things in the Old Testament. I want to do a little bit of teaching today uh, to help you understand some of this. Here is a graphic. Don't be overwhelmed by this. In the middle of the graphic, uh, we see the idea of the author's main point. You always want to struggle for that when you're studying the Bible. You always want to know what is the author's main point. And one of the mistakes that we make because it's 2020 and we are so far away from these events is that we kind of start with our experience in our life and we try to understand what this uh, passage in the Bible means. Well, we can't really do that. I put a red circle there that says uh, Bible times. We have to start back in the Bible times. And as we interpret the Bible, we have to understand how the people who originally would have read this text would have understood this text. And so for us to go back into their mindset, into their culture, we want to do a little bit of work always when we pick up the Bible because it's not a document that was written recently. It's written by the power of God for all time, of course, but it was written in a culture. And some of those cultures vary depending on the author and the time period. All right, so that's just a little bit about a Bible uh, interpretation. We're going to start and observe what's going on and we're going to interpret and we're going to do that from the past and get to the author's main point before we get to the gospel and begin then to apply it out for our lives. All right, so that's going to help us as we say today, there are wondrous things that lie ahead for God's people. In, in right here, uh, in the beginning of 35, you see the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. You ever been to the desert? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody ever been to the desert? Is it a fun place? Does it seem like a place you'd want to go and live, especially if there's not air conditioning? <laughs> no. No, the desert is dry and it's really hot. And so the image here 
is the wilderness and the desert are going to come, al come alive. There's going to be gladness. There'll be rejoicing. There'll be blossoming uh, abundantly with rejoicing and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to the desert. The, the, uh, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, these are well watered. These are very productive parts of the land. The people would have said, what? This fruitful part of the land is going to be like the desert? Are you serious? What an amazing prophecy. Well, especially coming out of chapter 34, where there is some grave imagery used for judgment, Isaiah reverses in 35 and shows us the opposite. There is something to look forward to. God is going to bring things about. So now this part about the desert uh, could have been received by this group of people uh, in, in light of the Assyrian invasion. Uh, that's the immediate context of what's going on. There's some fear about what uh, the Assyrians are going to do. You see that kind of resolved in 36 and a couple chapters after that. And you, you see uh, kind of how there was this big threat and all this fear. And God worked in an amazing way in a place that seems so very dire. I encourage you to read the whole entire context from 34 maybe up to 38 would give you some better context of it. But I also want you to understand that prophecy uh, doesn't work like an index. You don't just go and say, okay, well, Isaiah 35 prophecies this and this, and here is exactly the way that we understand all of it. We have to look back and we have to understand, even in some prophecies, uh, they can have a double meaning. They can have a meaning in the short run for the people. They can have a meaning in a longer term for, for people who would come generations after. That's how God communicates prophetically in his word. And so certainly it may have been encouragement to them not go, understanding what was going on with the Assyrians. But I found this out in researching this passage. That, did you know that in Israel right now they are literally learning how to be successful agriculturally in the desert? Some of the sweetest cherry tomatoes in the world are produced in desert agriculture in Israel. I didn't believe it when I read it. I thought somebody was just making it up to make a nice point in a sermon about Isaiah 35. I did my research on this. This is incredible. They're really making this happen. I put some couple notes down here besides the cherry tomatoes. They also have fish farms, olive groves, and fruit and vegetables. You can look it up on your own. It's really fascinating. Literally for them, literally coming true in modern day, and then literally... In the future, I want you to see Romans 8. Look at that. I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage and corruptions and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So even the very creation that we experience, we know that it is limited. We can, we can agree with the very first part of this prophecy and look forward and say God is going to do great things in the future in this creation and even by a new creation. Wondrous things lie ahead for God's people. I hope you're getting the idea here of Isaiah 35, getting the idea of prophecy. There's going to be some uh, specific things that we're going to find really helpful so look uh, here, we'll go through 3 through 7 next, and we'll see that God will help the weak and disenfranchised flourish. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Be a redundant question 
for me to say, did anybody feel weak in 2020? Well, of course. Over and over, we can answer that question, yes, we have felt uh, weaknesses. We have felt lost. We have felt so unsure of things that are going on around us. Well, so did the people Isaiah was called to as a prophet. Their security was slipping away around them. They had outside threats. And God didn't stop those threats. He sent a prophet. So this is, this is word to us that he can help us when events that don't stop leave us feeling weak. Hint, hint. Verse 4. Let's keep it going. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Fear in our hearts can affect what we do and certainly can affect our walk in obedience. In our devotion today, we heard about Mary. What if Mary got spooked by the angel coming and telling her she was going to conceive a child? by the power of the Holy Spirit. What if she got spooked by all this and decided not to obey? We, we see actually a strength in Mary's faith that we didn't see in Abram and Sarah when God promised them a supernatural birth. I hope this prophecy encourages you to experience God's power over fear and lead you to obedience in trusting him. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. This is a, a, a portrayal, a picture of the future Messiah who would come. Now you may say, are you speculating on that? Well, salvation is in view, and so is justice. We can... We can attach both of those to what we know about Jesus. And if you stay with me through the next couple of verses, you're going to see a little bit more about what we know of Jesus. And we're going to learn a little bit more about putting some things together in the Bible. Yes, there's imperfect justice now, but this prophecy in addressing weakness and fear says there is perfect justice to be had in the future. Let's look at some specific ways this will happen. I, I put the word disenfranchised. You get a little $5 word on a Sunday morning. <laughs> All right? Think about some of the people that are mentioned here in 5 and 6. In verse 5, we see that the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Is this real? Isaiah does use language like spiritual blindness. But could it be both? <laughs> Maybe I should have had a subtitle today on, on how to study the Bible. I'm going to do a little bit more teaching here. Another thing that we can learn about studying the Bible and, and trying to figure some of these things out is to, to let the Bible itself give us some help. Here's a passage in 35 that has a strong connection to something that Jesus said. I'll even give you the uh, in verse 5 and a little bit in the verse 6. Then the lame man, or then shall the lame man leap like the deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So we see people who would be disenfranchised in our world, generally people with physical disabilities, are not viewed as powerful or in positions of power. But here in this prophecy, we see their position changing from being disenfranchised to being a part of God's plan and a part 
of his glory. So if we're not quite sure, let's ask, does the Bible have anything else to say about this? Well, I want to show you Matthew chapter 11, 1 through 6. There was some confusion on who Jesus was. And so uh, people sent the disciples to, to Jesus. And they were like, well, who, who, who are you? Are you, look in the middle, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And look at what Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Look at how Jesus says things and does things and ministers to people in such a way that connects with his prophecy in Isaiah 35. Don't be afraid to ask the Bible for some help when you're trying to figure some things out. This is a really easy one. But these types of clues are here. So what an amazing picture of, of the wilderness and the desert coming to life and being like some of the fertile areas. What a picture of imperfect justice coming to life in people's lives where they have physical disabilities, but God works through them in such power to, to make the things that are not working work. Now, I can't guarantee you a point for point, hey, this is exactly how God is going to work, but let's not miss in this day and age that as we interact with this Savior, Jesus, who's promised in these pages, and Jesus himself quotes his own ministry to connect to Isaiah 35, let's not, let's not miss the joy we can experience in God working in our lives now. Let's not miss that. We're going to get future in a minute, and that's going to be exciting to think about, but I don't want us to miss what God can do now. Can he cast out the demon? Can he help somebody overcome? Can he unlock doors that we never saw coming? Can, can he make? Yes. All of those things we may wonder. Is God working and protecting people from this pandemic right now, raising up a future generation of leaders that will lead out of the pain and misery of this season? Yes. He can do all of that. So be encouraged. Wherever it looks dry and wasteland, God can be doing things to bring life out of it. He will help the weak and the disenfranchised flourish. I, I can't miss. And we're limited. We only do about three songs right now. But I, I just I heard the, the one verse in O for a thousand tongues. In this passage, I don't maybe uh, if anybody else was there, but the, one of the verses in that song says, Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. The hymn writer so wonderfully captures Jesus' words and captures the prophecy in Isaiah 35. Joy promised. Joy experienced, some in the past. Joy fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus and through our lives as, as dead things. <laughs> dead sinners come to spiritual life and we see things happen. Now the rest of six and seven will, will help build some momentum and point us forward for the waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert, kind of returning to that imagery that, that helps us there. It returns to the theme of flourishing. The land that shouldn't be flourishing flourishes. It comes to life. A picture of things that God is doing and will do in the lives of his people. 
You might be wondering, Pastor, it's Joy Sunday. <laughs> you haven't said a whole lot about joy uh, in, in your message so far. We had a nice devotional and candles lit, and it says joy right here on the banner. Hey, hey, anybody home up there? <laughs> All right, well, we're getting there. Some of this is joy, is knowing how to trust God and to know that he's working things even when things are difficult. That's exactly what Isaiah is doing in this chapter. It stands out in the, in the context of what's going on. So know that that's there. Joy is now. Joy is fulfilled in us and through us. And, and finally, uh, uh, there's verse, uh, verse 7. The burning shall be, <laughs> sand shall become a pool, uh, a thirsty ground, a springs of water, the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. All right, here we go. Let's look at Joy future. Joy will overflow forever. Not just a temporary thing. So encouraging for us, but not just temporary. Jesus coming and healing people is not for the here and now. It is God working in humans' lives isn't the only, it's not only during specific seasons or places in history. It is designed to be a part of a story that is told from well before you and I ever existed until well after uh, this earth is no more. That's the storyline, and we see ourselves in a part of this. God can do things humans don't think possible. That's what we see going on in this. And so let's look at the future part of this prophecy. Verse 8. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. I'm going to admit I get caught on this. When I think of highway, I think about the people who insist on going 45 miles an hour on the entire entrance ramp and refuse to speed up to the speed of traffic. I think about the highway. Right? I think about getting on the high. I don't want to go down these side streets and get the stop signs. And that's terrible on my brakes. I want to get on the highway where I can move a little quicker and be a little more efficient with what I'm doing. There's no highway like this in Israel. <laughs> they didn't have cars. They didn't have entrance ramps. They didn't have horns. Arr! They didn't have any of that. They didn't have traffic jams. Well, maybe they had traffic jams, but it wasn't like ours. Okay? There's a highway, there's a way, a high way. Image of a road isn't bad. It's a place that is traveled. And it'll be called the way of holiness. Unclean shall not pass over it. So not everyone will be traveling God's road. But look at what happens when God's power gets a hold of people. It's a highway of holiness where we seek the Lord. We seek to be like him. We seek to be changed. Even if somebody's a fool, they won't go astray on God's highway, on the highway of holiness. I can't just tell you that, that when you die, that forever and ever you're going to be on God's way. At a future time uh, on this earth during the millennial kingdom, I can't just say, hey, you're guaranteed to be here because you're living and breathing, that you're guaranteed to be. No, no, we see over and over throughout scripture repentance as the way into God's plan 
and into peace in relationship with him. I encourage you uh, to repent. If you're wondering today, am I a part of God's people? Am I uh, living my life according to God's plans? Am I connected with Jesus? I'll get there in a minute. We can't do that just because. We do that when we repent and we turn away from our sin, and it helps us to make that connection with God. So in that sense, the joy that we would experience here in thinking about forever and this way of God is jagged because not everybody will be there. We may be able to have something that others may not have should they choose not to trust Christ. That's verse 8. Verse 9 sounds like last week a little bit. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And so we see again on this earth a future time we believe will be a thousand-year period called the Millennial Kingdom. We see a place where believers are protected, where humans are protected in ways in which we are simply not now. And verse 10. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. There will be music. There will be celebration. This verse today, the culmination, the apex of this prophecy. We see celebration. We see music. No, I didn't forget about joy. It's right here in the last verse. We know that it's joy that brings people through the difficulty. We know that it's joy that trusts God to make life out of seemingly dead things or uh, flourishing out of really dry seasons of our lives. We know that it's joy that trusts us. And so it shouldn't surprise us that joy is the capstone. It's what they've experienced to get to this place. It's what Isaiah promises. Everlasting joy, verse 10, shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain Gladness and joy. It's a couple of different meanings of the word joy, but both of it, uh, both of them, point to a satisfaction, emotional connection with what God is doing that is so deep and so sustained. Clear and unhindered excitement for God cannot be missed. But remember where I started. Sometimes we flee. We flee from circumstances that are beyond our control. Look at when God is in control. Look at what is forced to flee at the end of this prophecy. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. For years and years and years, the Israelites waited for their Messiah. Some of the Jewish people recognize and continue to recognize Jesus as their Savior. Jesus as the judge who would come in Isaiah 35. Who would do miraculous work to point that he is the Savior who would come. Joy was promised. Joy has been fulfilled. In this month, we identify with the Israelites waiting for their Savior. We identify with that, but we also identify with them looking forward to the future. When joy will crown our heads, we shall obtain an everlasting gladness and joy. And what will flee? Sorrow and sighing. Yet again today, Isaiah shows us what it's like to be in uncertainty, future suffering, chaos, and difficulty, 
we see joy promised, we see joy fulfilled, and here at the end, we see joy future. Why, friends, would we doubt our journey on this earth would be any different? I want to encourage you to be sure that you are walking in relationship with Jesus. If you're watching today, if you're listening, you're in this place, and hey, I've not committed my life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that. Repent, turn away from your sin, and trust that Jesus died for you. Make him the king, the authority of your life. Please don't let today escape you as an opportunity to do that. For believers, our hearts and our emotions are churning during this time. We pray that the Lord would be at work, the Spirit would be encouraging us.